In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Come today, we, we uh, just heard the gospel of the one who was demon-possessed, blind and mute, and Christ healed him. And then we see that there's two different reactions. One reaction is by the people, and they say, could this be the son of David? And the same people looking at the same event, uh, different people, sorry, looking at the same event at the same time, have an entirely different reaction. And their reaction is, this fellow casts out demons except, doesn't cast out demons except by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. So we have the same miracle, people are standing there. One group says, this is the Messiah. And another group says, this is the devil, the prince of devils. Um, and so Christ, of course, gives some logical arguments at the end, saying a kingdom divided itself can't stand. But I kind of want to focus on the reaction of the Pharisees just, just for a second. Um, and it's obvious they completely missed what was happening um, and what was interacting around them and what was going on around them. And it's as if the, the Pharisees were still demon-possessed, blind, and mute. They didn't see or comprehend what had just happened before them. So in the Pharisees' heart, it's clouded, especially towards Christ, and they just don't want to react or accept or see him for who he is and what he is. Um, and sometimes in, in psychology, they, they call this projection, when the, the feelings you have in your own heart are ones you project onto other people. And sometimes you can, for example, if you see someone working really hard um, and you really care about money, you'll say, well, that person's working really hard because they care about money. When in fact, maybe that person doesn't care about money. Maybe that person wants to get promoted or that person wants to make their family proud or that person wants to be the first person to get a degree in their family, whatever. They may have a different reason, but because you think it's all about money, you'll say, well, that person's just trying to get money. Um, and so you're, you know, this other person is kind of assumed to have the same motives you have. Um, and what this does is it makes us sometimes distrust one another. And sometimes it makes us put each other in boxes, uh, label each other, you know, kind of judge one another. Um, and we see this all the time in the world, in the media, in, in the news, everything. Everyone's just trying to put everybody into boxes. Um, but, I, but I wonder if this... Um, hardness of heart and this evil inside and this self-centered view, not only can it be projected onto other people, but maybe it can be projected onto God himself. Um, maybe my own heart clouds my vision of who God is. Have you ever met someone who, you know, they, with a really angry voice, they look at you and they say, God's going to send you to hell. You're going to burn in hell for this. And God's going to judge you. And they're really mad. And you think to yourself, I don't know if God's that way or you're that way. And what they're doing is they're just projecting their own anger onto God. And so God for them becomes this angry, vengeful God who's going to get people just because they kind of want to get people. And so how people see God sometimes reflects themselves. Um, Father Greg Boyle uh, is a Jesuit priest, he's, runs Homeboy Industries here in L.A., great guy, amazing man. Um, he has this great quote, he says, you know you've made God 
in your image and after your likeness when he hates the same people you do. Right, so that's, that's kind of what we do as people. St. Philoxenus, who actually has read his story this morning, amazing, he writes something similar. He says, according to how one views himself, so he views God. If he lives on the level of offenders, God will be visible to him as a judge. But if he has repented, God will appear to him as one who forgives. Moreover, if he lives in a merciful fashion, he will discover the wealth of God's mercy. And if he is clothed with humility and gentleness, God's sweetness is visible before him. And if he possesses a knowledgeable mind, he will observe the wealth beyond comprehension of the wisdom of God. If he casts away anger and is free from wrath, peace and quiet moving in him at all times, he will be elevated to see the imperturbable serenity of God. But if a human being exists on a higher level of spiritual love, according to level, level on which he stands, it will be evident to him that God is entirely love. So how we see others reflects our own heart. So there's a story of a saint who I did not know. Her name is Saint Pelagia the Harlot. And we read about her actually in the Synexar on a Thursday about two weeks ago. And I want to read you this story of, of, of the account of her, of her life. There was a saint, a bishop named Saint, saint Nonus, and he was with a bunch of other bishops. And this woman passed by, and she's Saint Pelagia the Harlot at the time. And she was one of these beautiful actress, theater, harlot type people who would just adorn herself in a, in a certain way and flaunt her looks and her body and, um, as she passed in the streets. So I want to read to you this account. Just bear with me. It's kind of long, but it's a really nice story. Someone's writing the story. It says, when we were seated, the bishops asked Saint Nonus to speak to them. So there's a bunch of bishops. While we were marveling at the holy teaching, lo, suddenly there came among us the chief actress of Antioch, sitting on a donkey. She was dressed in the height of fantasy, wearing nothing but gold, pearls, and precious stones. Even her bare, free, bare feet were covered with gold and pearls. So great was her beauty that all the ages of mankind could never come to the end of it. So they passed through our company filling all the air with traces of music and the most sweet swell, smell of perfume, okay? So the bishops are sitting there talking about God and this woman and her entourage of, 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 of it says in the other, young boys and young girls who walk around her and the smell of perfume and music fills the air. When the bishops saw her bareheaded and all her limbs shamelessly exposed with such lavish display, there was not one of them who did not hide his face in his veil, averting their eyes as if it was from a very great sin. So you imagine all the bishops just kind of looked down. But the most blessed Nonus gazed after her intently for a long space of time. So he just stared at her. And after she had gone by, he turned around and still gazed after her. So after she had passed, then he, torn, he turned towards the bishops. So this is not the reaction you would think the saint would have. Then he turned toward the bishops sitting around him and said, were you not delighted by, her great, by such great beauty? When they did not reply, obviously it's kind of awkward. He buried his face on his knees over the holy body which he held in his hands and all his emotion came out in tears, sighing deeply. He said again to the bishops, were you not delighted by her great beauty? Still, they did not answer. So indeed, he said, I was very greatly delighted 
and her beauty pleased me very much. You see, God will judge her on her gifts, he continued, just as he will judge us on our Episcopal calling, our bishop calling. And he went on to say to the bishops, how many hours does this woman spend in her chamber giving all her mind and attention to adorning herself for the play in order to lack nothing in beauty, and she wants to please all those who see her. Here we are, the bishops. So he's basically saying, look at this woman. She spends so much time making herself beautiful, not missing any detail in her life, not letting anything lack in her appearance. And here we are, a group of bishops. Why do we not adorn ourselves and wash the dirt from our unhappy souls? Why do we let ourselves lie so neglected? So he's basically saying, we don't work as hard as she does. She tries. She puts in effort. Going into his bedchamber, the bishop threw himself on the ground with his face to the floor and beating his breast, he wept, saying, Lord Jesus Christ, I know I am a sinner and one unworthy. For today, the ornaments of a harlot have shone more brightly than the ornaments of my soul. I cannot put my hope in anything good that I do, but I place my trust in your mercy, which saves. He said this kind of thing and wept for many hours. That was a great festival of tears for us. Amazing. So when he saw her passing, dressed the way scantily clad, the way she was with music and perfume and, and provocatively, his reaction to her was pure and beautiful. And he saw in her good. He saw in her someone who tried, maybe misguided, maybe down the wrong path, but she tried. And she put in all this effort, effort that he and all the other bishops don't put in themselves. And it reminds us of how Christ sees us, how he sees the Samaritan woman, how he sees the sinner. He sees the good in everybody, no matter who it is. And that reminds us, of course, what St. Paul said to Titus, to the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. And that kind of reminds me of the Pharisees' reaction. You can see Christ himself, and you can see him performing a miracle, and you can say, yeah, looks like a devil to me. And we laugh at the Pharisees. But sometimes I think when we read the Bible, we should, you know, every time you get to the word Pharisee, just cross it out with a marker and write your own name above it. I think we do very well doing that. Because sometimes we, we, we look at the Pharisees and we mock them and we say, they don't get it. They don't get what we get. But when you look at what they do, you realize they do a lot of what we do or we do a lot of what they do. So it could be very well that the, the Pharisees hated Christ because he was good and they were bad. He was simple and they were extravagant. He was pure and they were defiled. He preached the message of love and acceptance and tolerance and they preached the message of judgment and hate and wrath. He was focused on the spirit. They were focused on the law. And maybe they even felt that he threatened their power with the people. They're trying to control people. The Pharisees were and Christ was trying to break free of that control that they were trying to so desperately hold on to. So I'm sure all that's true. However, maybe it was more innocent than that. Maybe they were sincere in their love for truth, but the hardness of their heart just kept them from seeing it. Maybe they were just projecting. 
They're projecting themselves and saw what he did as evil because of their own evil and because of their own concept of who God is. Maybe they simply just wanted a Messiah who did more stuff than that. They wanted a Messiah who wasn't a poor guy, who was almost a homeless guy with a, a ragtag group of disciples. They wanted a, a king. They wanted a theologian. They wanted someone who was going to save them. And it's interesting because there's this, this nice story in the gospel that, that Christ, after he performed a miracle, it said a bunch of people tried to grab him and make him king at that moment. And what did he do? He hid himself. And you think to yourself, why would you hide yourself? I thought you wanted to be king. Isn't that what Christ came to, to reign and be a king? But when they tried to make him king, he hid himself. And the point is, I'm not that kind of king. What kind of king did they want? Well, in that miracle, right, when they wanted to make him king, he had just fed them. So he's given out food. He heals them. So he's giving out free health care. So he's offering free food and free health care. Sounds like a Democrat. So, and maybe he might even, <laughs> he might even free them, no political jokes. He might even free them from the oppression of the Romans. So they wanted a king who's going to give them stuff. You get free food, you get free health care, you get free, you know, being saved from oppression from Romans. You don't have to pay taxes. It's a great deal. That's the kind of king I want. And so who wouldn't want that kind of king? The kind of king who gives you whatever you want. But the Pharisees didn't get it. And just like we said before, cross out the Pharisee name and write my name. Do I want the king who gives me what I want? The king who gives me food and money and degrees and power and cars and promotions and health. Is that the kind of king I want too? There's a youth that I know that went to medical school. And after about a year in medical school, he called me and he was crying because he was doing very poorly in medical school. And he was studying very, very hard. And he called me and he was very upset. And he said, look, I go to Coptic club. I go to liturgies. I pray to Baba Krillos. I do everything I'm supposed to do. Why am I not passing? I study really hard. I do my part and God isn't doing his part. And he was angry and he started to get resentful towards God. What kind of God is this who isn't doing his part? So why was he upset? Because he wanted a different kind of Messiah. He wanted the God who gave him stuff. He wanted the kind of God that you make a contract with. I'm going to do this, and then you're going to do that. I'm going to give this much money in Nedr, and you're going to get my kid into medical school. I'm going to attend a few tezbehas and a few liturgies and fast, and you're going to help me pass my exams. I want to, I want to deal, right? I give you, you give me. That's the way it works. He's looking for the cosmic vending machine, right? I put in my dollar, I get my candy bar. Right? And we all know what happens when you put in your dollar and you don't get a candy bar. What do you do? You hit the vending machine, right? You shake it violently and you have every right to be angry. 
because you gave it a dollar and it did not give you a candy bar. And so he was angry just like that. I did the things and you didn't give me what you're supposed to give me. And so we think this way a lot. In fact, in Arabic, there's an expression. You say, you know, someone will say, someone will say, God is blessing him. What does that mean? It means he's rich. And so we say, God is blessing him. So does God not bless someone with cancer? Does not God, God doesn't bless someone with a cross, with a tribulation, with a difficulty in their life? Isn't that not a blessing? And this is a very Old Testament thinking. In the Old Testament, this is how God blessed people. He gave them sheep and goats and children and land. This was the blessing of the Old Testament. Right? And much like a child, a parent relates to a child by giving him some chocolate, right? You got to speak to the child at the level of the chocolate, right? The, and of, the, of the child, right? This is what tetas and, and giddus do, right? They give candy to the kids, right? And the kids know that's a good person, right? And they get it. But what if the child is now an adult and their parents are older and they need help getting to the doctor? And then I, as the child, say to my, my, my old father, if you give me something first, then I'll show you love. First you give me, then I'll reciprocate. Wouldn't the parents respond to me and say, love me because I loved you first. Didn't I raise you? Didn't I change your diapers? Didn't I do a lot of things for you? I loved you first. Now you love me in my old age. And this is exactly what St. John says in his epistle. We love because he first loved us. So this is the kind of kingdom that we have. This is the kind of kingdom that our Messiah brought to us. And sometimes we look at the Jews and the Pharisees and we say, oh, they're silly. They wanted an earthly kingdom. But we want an earthly kingdom. We want goats and sheep and land and money and power and cars and degrees. We want all these things, don't we? So it isn't just them. We sometimes want a different Messiah as well. So I'll read you this quote from Father Matthew the Poor. He says, and he states it so well as he does everything. It is an unpre unprecedented phenomenon throughout the history of countries and kingdoms to hear of a kingdom whose constitution was based upon sanctity and righteousness, whose law focused upon purification, whose works and goals consisted of offering oblations, and whose only king was God. He would not invade nor harass nations in order to subdue them by sword and spear, but he would draw people forth to gather them around the banner of rescue. There is now no room for the proud, for the master is known only in service. The master is known as a slave. We are now living in the kingdom of Christ's humility, which can be perceived only by the humble. The image that the pious Jews and those who possessed a profound understanding of the prophets had in mind differed considerably from the reality of Christ when he came. Christ entered into the world through its secret and invisible door, the heart of man. The kingdom started from within man and not from outside him. Behold, the kingdom of God is inside you. So now today we look at the fair actions of the Pharisees and we remember that let's be sure to cross out the word Pharisee and just write our names in our Bibles. We need to learn that sometimes we want the same God they did, a material God, one that gives us the world. Our Christ 
came and said, this kingdom, my kingdom is not of this world. And Father Matthew the Poor said, did Christ present himself to the world seated on a golden throne? What kind of throne did Christ come on? What is his throne? There's a psalm that we reserve for the 12th hour of Good Friday. Thy throne is forever. It's the cross. So he didn't come on a golden throne. He came on a, a cross. That's the throne. And we also learn today that to the pure, all is pure. And that we often project our own characteristics unto God. May the Lord give us blessing and grace as we pursue a life of holiness. And glory be to God forever. Amen.